One Week Season. NFL Edge Audio. Browns at Ravens. Kickoff Sunday, November 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 38. Game Overview by Hilo. These two defenses rank first and third in points allowed per game. Baltimore 13.8, Cleveland 17.4. The tail of the tape starts on the defensive side of the ball for both teams as the Browns rank first in DVOA against both the rush and pass, while the Ravens rank third and second, respectively. Pierre Strong was on the Browns' injury report Wednesday as a non-participant with a hamstring injury. Deshaun Watson is off the team's injury report for the first time in over a month. Nothing jumps off the page as an elite GPP play from this game, although Lamar Jackson always carries elite upside in any matchup, and he's highly unlikely to garner ownership in this matchup due to his recent fantasy performances. How Cleveland Will Try to Win The Browns remain built from their defense outward, ranking third in the league in points allowed per game and leading the league in average time of possession at 34 minutes 11 seconds, and offensive plays run from scrimmage per game, 71.6. These two teams last played in week four without Deshaun Watson, which resulted in a relative inability to move the football on offense and numerous shortened fields for the Ravens, ultimately leading to a lopsided 28-3 drudging. Watson hasn't exactly been the poster child for ball security and offensive success this season, but the Browns should find more success with him under center when compared to the week four meeting between these two sides. From a top-down perspective, the Browns would prefer to adopt a run-balanced approach on offense to leverage their defensive prowess, shortening games when able. The problem here is that their opponent is built in a similar way. The Cleveland backfield has gone through multiple evolutions due to personnel changes this season, settling into a unit led by Jerome Ford when healthy. Ford has primarily been backed up by Kareem Hunt, who came back to the organization as a free agent during the year. Newcomer Pierre Strong has only been utilized in a meaningful way, with one of those two not fully healthy this season, which they appear to be entering Week 10. Strong is also on the team's injury report with a hamstring injury after not practicing on Wednesday. The matchup on the ground is middling at best, against a Ravens defense holding opponents to 4.0 yards per carry, behind 1.34 yards allowed before contact. That said, nose tackle Michael Pierce missed Wednesday's practice with an illness. Pierce has been a mainstay in the Ravens' rush defense and would present a much cleaner on-paper matchup for the Cleveland ground game should he miss. Either way, expect Ford to lead the backfield with clear upside for 20-plus running back opportunities, albeit in a difficult on-paper matchup. As mentioned earlier, the Browns lead the league in offensive plays run from scrimmage per game, but rank just 19th in pass attempts per game at 33.9, furthering the illustration of the run-balanced preference on offense. The Ravens are in man coverage at a top 10 rate this season, against which Amari Cooper and David Njoku are the only two Cleveland pass catchers to return above average grades this year. Cooper has managed .62 fantasy points per route run against man coverage, good for 15th in the league. Even so, the Ravens are about as elite as they come defensively, mixing scheme with talent to return one of the more lockdown units against the pass this year. The Browns dealt Donovan Peoples-Jones at the trade deadline, which opened up a starting perimeter role for Cedric Tillman. Elijah Moore has played about half of his snaps from the slot, but played there almost exclusively in the first game without DPJ in Week 9. Even so, expect his snaps to be limited by an offense that utilizes elevated rates of 12 personnel via Njoku, Harrison Bryant, and Jordan Aikens. How Baltimore Will Try to Win 
The Ravens rank 30th in seconds per play at 30.1, but are somewhat quietly up to 11th in pass rate over expectation this season. Even so, the expectation for their passing is extremely low due to their fierce defense, as evidenced by the team averaging just 29 pass attempts per game, 31st in the league. In other words, this team would prefer to dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball and leverage their suffocating defense to coast to victory. That said, every now and then Jim Harbaugh's Ravens seem to want to throttle an opponent, which typically comes when there is some sort of emotional attachment to the game. It's at least worth considering that the Ravens could potentially view this spot as a statement game against a tough divisional opponent. More on this in the DFS Plus interpretation section. While the Cleveland backfield seems to come with more certainty as compared to earlier in the season, the Baltimore backfield only continues to become more convoluted. Gus Edwards has scored six rushing touchdowns over the previous three games and leads the league in fantasy production amongst running backs during that time. Yes, guys like Christian McCaffrey had their bye week thrown in there, so be careful about blindly following small sample size statistics like that, but it is noteworthy nonetheless. Edwards remains a relative zero in the passing game and played just 14 offensive snaps against the Seahawks in Week 9, so it isn't all roses and tulips for the veteran back. The other consideration is the recent emergence of rookie running back Keaton Mitchell, who took 9 carries for 138 yards and a score on 14 offensive snaps himself in Week 9. Harbaugh told the media that Mitchell has earned a larger share of the backfield work moving forward, although what that ultimately translates to as far as snap rate goes remains to be seen. Furthermore, it's actually Justice Hill who leads the backfield in total snaps played over the previous five games dating back to Week 5, but he has scored just one touchdown during that stretch and has yet to return a usable fantasy performance this season. Finally, quarterback Lamar Jackson averages 9.3 carries per game this season and has contributed five rushing scores himself. We know the Browns utilize the heaviest rates of man coverage this season, but that could be lessened in this spot against the mobility of Lamar Jackson. As in, Cleveland defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz could be forced to run heavier rates of zone coverage, primarily cover three, if Jackson is able to escape the pocket early in the game. While I don't see that as the likeliest scenario here, it would serve to provide a matchup the Ravens are more aptly prepared to exploit, as none of the Baltimore wide receivers rank in the top 75 in fantasy points per route run against man coverage this season. The Baltimore pass game is designed to get its pass catchers in space against zone, something that is a likely carryover from offensive coordinator Todd Monken's robust history coaching at the NCAA level. Surprisingly enough, it's actually veteran wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. who leads the team in targets per route run against man this season at 29.6%. Either way, the low overall pass volume, the unlikely eruption from the game environment to push the Ravens into increased pass volume, and the difficult on-paper matchup leave us hunting for touchdowns as the primary source of fantasy utility from this spot. Likeliest Game Flow Even with the Browns appearing so dominant during the first half of the season, all phases of this matchup tilt slightly in the favor of the Ravens, who are both more explosive on offense and have slightly fewer holes on defense. One of the primary spots that could shift that in the favor of the Browns is the status of Michael Pierce, as he has been one of the top run stoppers in the league over the previous five seasons. From a macro perspective, this game is likeliest to play to a good old-fashioned AFC North slugfest. It is likeliest to be the Ravens that break that mold first due to the extreme rates of man coverage run by the Browns, meaning any Cleveland players from this one should theoretically be anchored to someone from the Ravens. Beyond that, nothing truly pops off the page from this game considering the stout nature of each defensive unit, although Lamar Jackson always carries elite upside and is highly unlikely to garner much ownership on this slate.
Texans at Bengals. Kickoff Sunday, November 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 47 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. I'm writing this super early, so I don't even have the first injury report from either team. It looks like Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase will carry an injury designation into the weekend after his big fall in Week 9, where he landed directly on his lower back while in full stretch trying to corral a deep ball. I expect him to play, but he's probably going to carry a questionable designation into the weekend. That is fully me projecting it out. Damian Pierce has an ankle injury and Robert Woods has a foot injury. Both are names to watch on the injury report this week for the Texans, each of whom missed the team's Week 9 game against the Buccaneers. It's entirely too early to say whether or not they'll be back with the team in Week 10 against the Bengals, but we'll write this game up as if they will miss and highlight where things would change should they play. This game carries elite upside, accompanied by a rather shaky floor due to significant uncertainties on both sides of the ball. Both teams rank in the bottom five in yards per carry and have demonstrated elite abilities through the air. If only looking at their recent tendencies and negating what we've seen during the rest of the season, this spot would absolutely pop on paper as a likely passing extravaganza. How Houston Will Try to Win We covered the tale of two seasons for Bobby Slowick and the Texans' offense in multiple places last week leading into their game against the Buccaneers. Slowick had been one of the more forward-leaning offensive play callers through the first four weeks of the 2023 season before falling back into a shell during the second month. That took the form of the highest first down rush rate in the league and innumerable long down and distance to go situations. Then, with Damian Pierce out of the lineup against the pass funnel nature of the Buccaneers' defense, Slowick dialed up 19 first down pass plays. Yeah, they ran a lot of plays. And attacked downfield relentlessly to Tank Dell and Noah Brown and over the intermediate areas of the field to Nico Collins and tight end Dalton Schultz. We saw what happened with the more unpredictable nature of that style of play calling last week which brings promise in a spot where the Texans will likely need to keep their collective feet on the gas once again. The potential return of Damian Pierce could theoretically alter those play-calling tendencies back to a more muted stance, but it is more likely that we see Slowick remain aggressive knowing that Joe Burrow appears fully healthy and has returned to playing at a high level since the team's Week 7 bye. In total, the Texans are right around league average in pass rate over expectation and ranked ninth in seconds per play at 27.6 but we've seen Slowick adopt a more aggressive stance via game planning and game management in spots that seem to dictate it, which the Bengals very clearly present this week. All of that to say, even though Slowick's tendencies have been a case of Jekyll and Hyde this season, the Bengals present the potential for Slowick to continue in a more pass-aggressive design in Week 10. Even though the backfield personnel could change heading into Week 10 with the uncertainty surrounding leadback Damian Pierce's status, the overall feel of this offense should remain largely unchanged in that they have struggled on the ground through the first half of the 2023 season, regardless of who is seeing the usage in the backfield. The Texans rank 30th as a team in yards per carry at 3.3 yards per carry. Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary hold both a meager 3.5 yards per touch and the Texans' offensive line ranks 31st in yards generated before contact this season, 1.05, ahead of only the Panthers. The Bengals rank 31st in yards allowed per carry at 5.0 and have yielded 1.48 yards before contact this season, which introduces some level of uncertainty regarding how aggressive through the air we expect Slowick to be in this spot. That is to say, the pure matchup presents a very different look than what the team saw last week against a clear pass-funneled defense in the Bucks. As such, we should view the Texans' pass offense as a unit that carries a ton of upside against a Bengals pass defense that ranks 10th in DVOA, 
but has allowed the fourth most net yards per pass attempt through the air and a 63.5% completion rate against. We should also remember that Slowick has demonstrated some night and day play calling tendencies that put their offense behind the sticks for an entire month of play before last week's reversion to more of what we saw during the first month of the season. Nico Collins remains the top option from an efficiency per route perspective against both man and zone coverage this season, but he also has just one game with double-digit targets this season and has a maximum of six targets over the previous four games. Just like the offense as a whole, Collins should primarily be viewed as a player carrying elite ceiling that comes with a rather shaky floor. The same can be said of Tank Dell, Noah Brown, unless so for Robert Woods should he return, who does not carry the same per-touch upside as the rest of the group, and tight end Dalton Schultz, although Schultz has the matchup working in his favor against a Bengals defense that has struggled with inline tight ends this season as they continue to work through the departures of both all-pro safeties this offseason. How Cincinnati will try to win The Bengals have been the most pass-heavy team during the previous two weeks after their Week 7 bye from a pass rate over expectation perspective, which likely speaks to the health of quarterback Joe Burrow more than anything else. Burrow struggled through his calf injury for the first six weeks of the season, not looking himself in the pocket until after the bye. He has been able to extend plays more effectively and has the two games with the most rushing attempts this season since the bye, five and six, which has allowed this team to really open things up after operating a more muted offense, largely confined to the short areas of the field through the first six weeks. The Texans present a pass-funnel matchup while holding opponents to 3.5 yards per carry this season and play significant rates of zone coverage, which should, theoretically, combine with the recent tendencies exhibited by the Bengals to form a game plan focused on exploiting zone coverage through the air. That means a high rate of expected work for Jamar Chase, if healthy, who owns an elite 29.4% targets per route run rate against zone coverage this season compared to a laughably low 18.3% targets per route run rate against zone for T. Higgins and 16.0% targets per route run rate against zone for Tyler Boyd. And yet, because we can't have nice things this year, kidding, Chase is likely to carry a questionable designation into the week if I'm reading this situation correctly. Again, I'm writing this before the team's first injury report drops, so that could change later this week. We'll continue with the rest of the write-up as if Chase ultimately plays, which I expect him to do against the Texans. For the third consecutive season, Joe Mixon has been operating as a true workhorse back for the Bengals, albeit with absurdly low efficiency on the ground. His pass-catching involvement and the fact he plays for an offense that can put up points in a hurry has kept his weekly ceiling quite high during that time, but we've seen what can happen when he isn't fighting the end zone, and his red zone efficiency has also been laughably low during that time. Even so, the offseason departure of Samaj P. Ryan has had Mixon playing on 70% or more of the team's offensive snaps in all but one game this season, which came way back in Week 1. Mixon has averaged 16.75 carries and 4.25 targets per game over the last month of play against the Bills, 49ers, Seahawks, and Cardinals, a solid mix of talent in his opposition during that time. The matchup on the ground is one of the more difficult spots he'll see this season against a Texans defense ranked third in yards allowed per carry, holding opponents to just 1.21 yards before contact. Expect Travion Williams to continue serving in a loose change of pace, modest role. So much of the pass offense runs through three primary players, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and running back Joe Mixon, while Tyler Boyd plays at a snap rate larger than most slot-wide receivers around the league due to the elevated rates of 11 personnel that the Bengals run. Even with the extreme rates of 11 personnel from this offense, the tight ends operate in a three- or four-way split amongst Irv Smith, Drew Sample, Mitchell Wilcox, and even Tanner Hudson, which keeps all out of consideration this week. 
The matchup against the Texans' zone-heavy defense very clearly tilts expected production to the short to intermediate areas of the field, which is an area that Jamar Chase has absolutely crushed. His elite 29.4% targets per route run rate against zone coverage this season highlights those tendencies. Expect Chase to once again serve as the primary cog in the offense based on the matchup, recent team tendencies, and the fact that the Texans are near league average in target rate allowed to running backs this season. Wide receivers Trenton Irwin and Andre Iosevis round out the pass-catching core, each playing sparingly with the top three options healthy this season. Should Chase unexpectedly miss this week with his back injury, expect Trenton Irwin to step into a more robust role, having played 76% of the team's snaps in the only game missed by either Chase or Higgins this season. Likeliest Game Flow This game clearly contains some of the highest upside on the Week 10 slate. That said, it also carries a significantly wide range of outcomes due to the uncertainties of Jamar Chase, Damian Pierce, and Robert Woods, and via the relatively small sample we have of the Bengals playing at a high level. To be fair, this can most directly be associated with the health of quarterback Joe Burrow. Also, consider the night and day play calling tendencies from Bobby Slowick, meaning a matchup with the Bengals could send the Texans back into a more muted offensive stance if the game environment allows. All of that to say, consider this game one of the top potential game environments on the slate, but one that also brings a rather wide range of outcomes with all the uncertainties associated with each of these teams. 49ers at Jaguars Kickoff Sunday, November 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over-under, 45. Game Overview by High-Low Wide receiver Debo Samuel finally finds himself as a full participant in practice this week and is expected to return to action against the Jaguars following two missed contests and the team's Week 9 bye. Offensive tackle Trent Williams has yet to practice this week, nearly four weeks after his ankle injury. Not the best look coming out of the team's bye week. Wide receiver Zay Jones got in a limited session Wednesday as he attempts to make it back to game action following five missed games in the team's last six. I tentatively expect Jones to return to action after a largely lost season to this point. The question with the 49ers isn't so much will they produce, it's where will the production come from and can their opponent keep pace. How San Francisco will try to win. We know the drill by now with these 49ers, who bring a weekly slow pace of play, 32nd ranked 31.2 seconds per play, and a bottom 10 pass rate over expectation to the table. Their highly concentrated, forward-leaning offense is primarily limited by a coach that doesn't necessarily aim to score as many points as possible every time his team touches the football, so much as he tries to methodically control a game towards a victory. We know the offense to run primarily through Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle, an offense that is as hard to figure out for fantasy purposes as it is for their opponents on a weekly basis. It's not that we can't count on weekly production, as much as it is any one of those four primary contributors can erupt in any spot, which makes it more difficult to narrow down when all four are active. With all four active, concentrated volume is highly unlikely to amass away from McCaffrey, with the primary pass catchers most reliant on efficiency and touchdowns to return elite scoring. By DVOA, this is a difficult spot on paper against a defense that ranks in the top five against both the pass and run, but micro matchups matter far less for the 49ers than they do for most other teams around the league. In earnest, this is one of those teams that can win in many different ways and beat difficult matchups, with the more interesting aspect of this game being Jacksonville's potential to keep pace. As we've covered in numerous spots this season, the norm for the 49ers is that they hang 30 points on the scoreboard, 
leaving situations where their opponents can potentially keep up against their own suffocating defense highly valuable for fantasy purposes. McCaffrey leads the league in rush yards and receiving yards at running back through the halfway point in the season, on pace for over 1,300 yards on the ground and almost 600 yards through the air, in addition to being on track for a lull-worthy 26 touchdowns. His 5.6 yards per touch ranks 8th in the league, but his massive 44 red zone opportunities leads the league by a wide margin. Furthermore, he has played all but two offensive snaps over the previous two games for the 49ers, rendering both Elijah Mitchell and Jordan Mason completely irrelevant in the process. The matchup is poor on paper against the Jacksonville defense, holding opponents to a fourth-ranked 3.6 yards per carry, behind a middling 1.33 yards allowed before contact, and a solid fourth overall rating in DVOA against the run. Where the Jaguars have really struggled is containing running backs through the air having allowed the most receptions to opposing backs this season at 60. All of that to say, McCaffrey should be just fine in this spot and always carries the potential to put the rest of the league on notice in any matchup. Oh yeah, and there's that little bit about scoring in 17 straight games and the like. Ayuk, Samuel, McCaffrey, Kittle. Any one of those four names can return elite GPP production in any given game. The trick isn't as much will any of them have a good game as it is which of those guys will have a good game. The Jaguars have played the fourth highest rate of zone coverage this season and blitz at an above average 29.4% clip, which sets up as another spot for Kittle to be utilized at an inline position at an increased rate, particularly if Williams misses again. Both Samuel and Ayuk are right around a 24% targets per route run rate against zone coverage this season, trailed slightly by Kittle and McCaffrey. Compare that to the 34.5% targets per route run rate of Ayuk against man coverage, and it becomes even trickier to figure out where the production is likeliest to flow from in this spot. Despite the high DVOA against the pass, the Jaguars have allowed top 10 marks to tight ends and wide receivers this season, most often seeding production to the intermediate middle of the field in front of their safeties. Again, the problem for us is that all four primary pass catchers run routes at those areas of the field at elevated rates. How Jacksonville will try to win. If we look at the game logs from the Jaguars over the previous two seasons, we'll see a glaring illustration of just how tied to game environment the play-calling tendencies of Doug Peterson have been. Gone are the days when Peterson would simply throw the football at elevated rates, and present are the days where flow of the game means more to the potential upside from the Jaguars' primary skill position players. Trevor Lawrence in wins this season a high of 37 pass attempts, and an average of 31.6 pass attempts per game. Trevor Lawrence in losses this season, 40 and 41 pass attempts. If that's too small of a sample size for you, let's look at the 2022 season. Trevor Lawrence in wins in 2022, 33.9 pass attempts per game, and two games over 37 attempts. Trevor Lawrence in losses in 2022, 38.75 pass attempts per game, with 40 or more pass attempts in half of those games. About five more pass attempts per game in losses, with a 50% chance of eclipsing 40 attempts in 2022, and about 10 more pass attempts in losses with both games over 40 attempts in 2023. The Jaguars are three-point dogs at home in Week 10. So not only does the equation become, will the Jaguars keep pace, it also becomes, how will the Jaguars keep pace? The answer has a good chance of being, They keep pace through the air. Travis Etienne has held an 80% snap rate or greater in every game since week four. Said another way, Etienne has been an absolute workhorse dog for the last five games for the Jaguars. 
On the season, Etienne boasts the second most carries behind only McCaffrey and sixth most targets, and he's run the third most routes. What has largely been lacking is the robust red zone role, having seen just 16 red zone touches and only two goal line touches this season. That has led to a significant volume-induced ceiling, but a shakier floor than his counterpart on the other side of this game. Aiding in the micro matchup is a San Francisco defense morphing into a clear run funnel defense by having allowed 4.1 yards per carry, ranked 16th, compared to 5.5 net yards per pass attempt, good for 6th best in the league. The sledding will be tough considering San Francisco's 5th ranked 1.13 yards allowed before contact this season, but it should allow ETN to remain involved throughout the game. Tank Bigsby has played just 14 offensive snaps over the previous two games, while Dearness Johnson has seen a modest five offensive snaps during that time, leaving this backfield almost entirely in ETN's hands of late. Jones has missed five of eight games this season, leaving two of those early with injury. That has brought Jamal Agnew and Tim Jones into the rotation, with the two combining for just five offensive snaps in the only game where Zay Jones started and finished this season. Christian Kirk has played 69.9% of his offensive snaps from the slot this season and should return to a nearly exclusive slot role once Jones returns, which appears likely this week with the team coming out of the bye. The 49ers have been near league average in man and zone coverage rates this season, blitzing at a below average 20.1% clip, which is third lowest in the league. In standard San Francisco fashion, they have generated an above average 25% pressure rate behind a front four tasked with generating organic pressure. One of the changes for the 49ers this season is a relatively poor performance out of man coverage, with standard for them elite marks out of zone. Kirk and Jones are the top two performers from the Jaguars against man coverage, each above 25% target per route run against that primary coverage this season. Things become a lot more spread against zone, but Kirk leads the way with a 22nd ranked .43 fantasy points per route run. Either way you slice it, this is a difficult spot through the air for all of Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and tight end Evan Ingram. Likeliest Game Flow The 49ers score 30 points. That's just what they do. Okay, so they're not going to score 30 points every game, but they have done so with great frequency with Brock Purdy under center over the last season's worth of games. Furthermore, they can realistically win with many different players and so many different areas of the field that it becomes difficult to narrow down where the production is likeliest to come from, an idea exacerbated by the heavy zone rates of the Jaguars' defense, against which the production from the 49ers becomes more spread out. The thing amplifying this spot the most is the fact that Peterson has been so reliant on game environment to influence his play-calling tendencies since the start of the 2022 season. That bodes well against a 49ers team that puts up points regularly. All of that to say, this game carries some of the highest overall upside on the slate as far as expected and potential game environment goes. The borderline elite defenses on each side introduce a wider range of outcomes than would otherwise be present, but the upside is very clearly there. Due to the play-calling tendencies from the Jaguars, 49ers pieces can be played by themselves, while I would reserve Jaguars pieces to be tethered to San Francisco players. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Saints at Vikings. Kickoff Sunday, November 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 40 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. Joshua Dobbs is likely to draw the start at quarterback for the Vikings with Jaron Hall concussed. 
a role the former is unlikely to relinquish for the remainder of the season. K.J. Osborne also suffered a concussion in Week 9 and is unlikely to play against the Saints. T.J. Hawkinson was limited in practice on Wednesday, but appears likely to play. He also represents the team's best option to move the ball through the air in this spot. Justin Jefferson had his 21-day practice window activated and returned to a limited session on Wednesday, but he remains unlikely to play in Week 10. Rookie running back Kendra Miller missed practice on Wednesday with an ankle injury suffered in Week 9. How New Orleans will try to win The Saints have run an up-tempo offense, ranking 8th at 27.4 seconds per play, with a near-league average pass rate over expectation. That said, their offensive play calling and design has been wildly susceptible to game environment, with the team comfortable taking a more run-balanced approach unless otherwise forced. Quarterback Derek Carr has two games with more than 50 pass attempts this season, both of which came in losses to the Texans and Jaguars. In his seven other starts, he's averaged a much more natural 30.1 pass attempts per game. Considering the matchup with the Vikings and the state of their opponent's roster, it's fair to expect the Saints to approach this one with the same run-bound stance until otherwise forced, which is also less likely to occur than in other spots this season. We've seen Alvin Kamara's snap rate and workload dip in four consecutive weeks as Jamal Williams has returned to health and become more involved. Furthermore, as was discussed last week during Chalk Kamara Week, his outlier performances through the air have come in games where the Saints were playing from behind throughout the contest. Kamara has seen five or fewer targets in each of the three New Orleans wins since he returned to action in Week 4, seeing 14 targets twice and eight targets once in the three losses during that time. The return to health of Williams has also threatened Kamara's weekly rushing upside as he logged 17, 17, and 9 carries since his backfield mate returned from injury. And then there's the curious case of tight end Taysom Hill, who has seen his involvement in the offense grow over the last month of play, seeing 19 targets and 26 carries in that span. That number includes 20 combined carries over his previous two games. The matchup on the ground is middling on paper against a Vikings defense holding opponents to 3.7 yards per carry on the backs of just 1.10 yards allowed before contact, which is third best in the league. The Minnesota defense leads the league by a wide margin in blitz rate this season, but has changed things behind those blitzes, running zone coverage at a top 10 rate in the league. The Saints have two very clear paths for volume to flow against man coverage, with both Chris Olave and Michael Thomas seeing a target on over 30% of their routes run against man coverage this season. Against zone, however, things flatten out for the Saints, with only Olave, 23.7%, seeing a targets per route run rate higher than 16% this season. Furthermore, the return to health of primary contributors has left the Saints playing with elevated rates of 12 personnel and elevated rates of unique packages via Hill leaving all of Olave, Thomas, Rashid Shahid, and tight end Jawan Johnson in sub-elite snap rate roles. In other words, the Saints are plenty fine utilizing a rotation of skill position players via an offense that utilizes heavy rates of sub-packages. As such, nobody pops on paper based on the confusing utilization and middling matchup. How Minnesota will try to win Dobbs had one of the more interesting storylines of the season last week. He was acquired by the Vikings at the trade deadline and had been with the team for less than a week before being forced into action following the Hall concussion against the Falcons. Dobbs, who had zero practice repetitions with the offensive line or primary skill position players, because Hall was about to make his first start of the season, did not even know the team's cadences or where his skill position players would be on the field. He was seen on the sidelines going over the cadences with his offensive line prior to entering the game, and was asking his pass catchers where their routes would take them on each side in the huddle 
in addition to having head coach Kevin O'Connell coaching him through the headset on what to expect for the oncoming snap until his microphone cut off with 16 seconds remaining on the play clock. Knowing that Hall picked up a concussion in Week 9, we're likely to see Dobbs starting in Week 10, and likely for the rest of the season. That said, we don't fully know how O'Connell will look to run his offense with the quarterback change, but we should expect things to look fairly similar to how they did with Kirk Cousins under center when the Vikings ranked 4th in seconds per play, 27.4, with the 5th highest PROE. Part of the reason the Vikings have tilted so much of their offense towards the air is a relative inability to get anything going on the ground. They brought in Cam Akers to help with that, but he suffered yet another torn Achilles in Week 9 and will face another long road to recovery. That should return Alexander Madison to a workhorse role, albeit in a difficult matchup against the Saints defense, allowing just 1.17 yards before contact to opposing backs and just four rushing scores through the midway point of the season. The Vikings averaged just 22 rush attempts per game so far this year, a number that could trickle up as the season progresses with Dobbs plus mobility. Either way, this is not a standout spot on the ground for the Vikings, even with the matchup appearing to filter additional work towards the run based on the Saints ranked 17th in DVOA against the run and 9th in DVOA against the pass. The primary reason for the solid numbers from the New Orleans defense against the pass is a unit that's holding its opposition to just 5.4 net yards per pass attempt this season, which they have accomplished via elevated rates of man coverage. They play the fourth highest in the league. With Jefferson out of action, only rookie wide receiver Jordan Addison carries above average marks against man coverage this season outside of Hawkinson. Addison's .56 fantasy points per route run against the coverage ranks 21st amongst qualified wide receivers, but a low 17.9% targets per route run against man highlights a relative inability to win consistently. To be fair, most of that sample size came with Jefferson in the lineup, but it's fair to expect more muted production against man coverage for a rookie wide receiver, as that is typically the most difficult aspect to master in the transition to the NFL game. Osborne picked up a concussion in the team's Week 9 win over the Falcons, leaving him highly unlikely to play against the Saints. After he departed last week, it was Tristan Jackson who stepped into an elevated 71% snap rate role. He saw just three targets while most of the aerial attack was fed through Addison and Hawkinson. It was Hawkinson that saw the highest usage for the Vikings with two brand new quarterbacks a week ago, which makes sense as the player most likely to free himself within the first five yards of the line of scrimmage. Based on matchup, recent usage trends, and the state of the quarterback position, Hawkinson should once again be expected to lead the team in usage through the air. Likeliest Game Flow It is likely we see the Saints' defense find success in disrupting drives against the Vikings, who have dealt with a multitude of injuries this season, including Cousins, Jefferson, Akers, and now Hall and Osborne. Those injuries are important in this spot, because the Vikings are left with very few options remaining who have proven abilities to exploit man coverages, which the Saints run at the third highest rate in the league. On the other side of the matchup, the significant struggles of the New Orleans red zone offense draws a neutral matchup against a Vikings defense near league average in red zone touchdown rate allowed, something that is likely to play a large role in the trajectory of this game. Carr has also historically struggled when under pressure, which has carried forward to the 2023 season. He has thrown just one touchdown and carries a poor 51.6% completion rate when pressured this season. In other words, the extreme blitz rates of the Vikings' defense could further serve to mute the overall game environment if they are getting home against the Saints' offensive line, allowing pressure at a slightly below average 24% clip. Packers at Steelers. Kickoff Sunday, November 12th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 39. 
Game Overview by Pappy. This game pairs two of the league's worst offensive schemes and most questionable quarterbacks. Neither of these teams has been able to move the ball until the fourth quarter when both offenses tend to wake up. Everyone is cheap on both sides, including Deontay Johnson at 5,400, George Pickens at 5,100, and Christian Watson at 4,900, all of whom have price-considered upside. Pickens looked upset last week after DJ scored the go-ahead touchdown and deleted all mention of the Steelers on his social media. Both backfields are timeshares. This most likely outcome is a low-scoring game full of punts. How Green Bay Will Try to Win The 3-5 Packers come into Week 10 on the outside looking in at a quickly forming NFC playoff picture. They are 3.5 games back from the Lions in the NFC North and 1.5 games back plus the tiebreaker of the Vikings for the final wildcard spot. This game feels like a must-win for the Packers to keep their season alive. Matt LaFleur's offense has looked lost most of the year. Whether that's the coach's or the quarterback's fault is up for debate, but the results have been poor, with the Packers ranking the bottom 10 in points scored. The Packers play it with above-average tempo, 12th-ranked pace of play, but last week they played 90s football, calling run-pass splits of 38 and 26. It's easy to write that off due to game script, and part of it was due to the Rams' inability to move the ball, but if you watch the game, the Packers' plan was to run from the start. They were never forced out of that approach, leading to the lopsided run-pass splits. The Packers are 16th in PROE and 13th in pass rate, which means they're typically more balanced. There is a chance their run-heavy approach was just a one-week anomaly, but there is also a chance that the coaching staff has lost confidence in Jordan Love. The Steelers' defense has been middling against the run, 16th in DVOA, and strong against the pass, 7th in DVOA. Although the Steelers' season ranking against the run is middle of the road, they got run-stuffing defensive end Cam Hayward back from the IR last week. Hayward immediately registered six tackles, including one for a loss. The Packers' offensive line has been middling, ranked 15th by PFF, but they've been a better pass-blocking unit, led by the excellent protection of left guard Elgton Jenkins and right tackle Zach Tom. Tom ranks in the top five right tackles in QB sacks plus hits allowed, but will be put to the test by Steelers' left outside linebacker T.J. Watt. Steelers' free safety Minka Fitzpatrick looks to be on the wrong side of questionable, but his loss is somewhat mitigated by the emergence of rookie cornerback Joey Porter Jr. Porter didn't see significant snaps until Week 7, but he played 95% of snaps last week and has put up the 15th best coverage grade in the league. The Steelers' defense is good and trending up, even with Minka probably out one more week. Without an obvious weakness to attack, the Packers are likely to come out with their usual balanced game plan, with a better chance that they test things on the ground first to try and hide love. How Pittsburgh Will Try to Win The 5-3 Steelers come into Week 10 currently in possession of what would be the top wildcard spot. Their record is astonishing considering they have the fourth worst point differential at minus 30 in the AFC. Their game scores don't even tell the whole story. The Steelers have been outgained in yards in every game this season. Being 5-3 while gaining fewer yards and scoring fewer points than your opponent is a feat that could only be accomplished by Mike Tomlin, who must walk around with a horseshoe in his pocket. The Steelers have played with pace this year, ranked 7th overall, especially at home, 2nd in pace at home, but fast doesn't always mean good. The Steelers have run a proverbial middle school offense, with regular chants of Fire Canada raining down from the crowd. The Steelers' scheme hasn't done them any favors, but they've also suffered from a subpar O-line, 21st ranked per PFF, and questionable QB play from Kenny Pickett. In fairness to each side of the who-stinks debate between Canada and Pickett, they're both right.
The Packers have been below average against the run, 19th in DVOA, and poor against the pass, 25th in DVOA. The Packers' defense is attackable in any way the Steelers choose, which won't matter much because Canada is one of the least likely coordinators to adjust for his opponent. Rather than scheming players into space, he runs a beat-the-man-across-from-you offense. The Steelers are 20th in PROE, but 12th in pass rate, with a record of 5-3. and three. The first two splits are what we would usually expect to see from a losing team that wants to run but is consistently forced to throw in bad game scripts. We see it here because nothing makes Canada happier than calling a draw on 2nd and 10. Canada plays fast because he thinks in today's NFL that's how you're supposed to play, rather than playing fast to create problems for the defense. At its core, this is a conservative offense that considers punting an acceptable outcome. Expect another bland game plan from the Steelers that relies on trying to run the ball and hit short passes to Deontay Johnson, while hoping not to make mistakes long enough for TJ Watt to win the game on defense. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a puny total at 39, with the Steelers installed as modest minus three home favorites. The Steelers and Packers have both been hilariously inept on offense for the first three quarters of games. It's quite the matchup of two teams who seem only to be able to move the ball on their final two drives. Place your under first half bets. These are two of the least creative offenses in the NFL, helmed by two of the most questionable QBs creating a most likely outcome where both offenses have a run-it-if-we-can mindset. Since neither team is likely to have much success with a bland running approach, the game will stay close, and both teams will stay conservative, hoping to win on a late mistake from their opponents. It wouldn't be shocking to see this game start the fourth quarter with a score of 10-3, giving it the feel of first to 20 wins. The Titans at the Buccaneers kick off Sunday, November 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 39. Game Overview by Hilo Both sides of this spot clearly tilt expected production to the air. Rookie quarterback Will Levis will start moving forward for the Titans, even with veteran Ryan Tannehill recovered from his injury. Wide receiver Traylon Burks has yet to practice this week, as of Thursday, with a concussion. The Buccaneers have some injury concerns in the secondary, as cornerback Carlton Davis has yet to practice this week with a toe injury, Jamal Dean got in a limited showing on Thursday with a concussion, and defensive back Josh Hayes has yet to practice with a concussion. These are all extremely important pieces to keep an eye on heading into the weekend, considering the heavy utilization of cover one and cover three from the Tampa Bay defense this season. How Tennessee Will Try to Win First off, the Titans remain one of the more methodically based offenses in the league, preferring to march the field through elevated time of possession and sustained drives while their defense cracks down on the run. That has opened up ever so slightly with Will Levis under center, but we're still dealing with an offense averaging just 29.1 pass attempts per game, 30th, that plays with slow pace, 31st ranked 31.0 seconds per play. The return of Vita Via for the Buccaneers further tilts the path of least resistance to the air for the Titans, although Tennessee has largely been reliant on game environment to dictate their play-calling tendencies, and not the matchup. In other words, we should expect the Titans to continue with heavy rates of early down rushing through Derrick Henry for as long as they are both allowed to, and it is working. Speaking of Mr. Henry... The King continues to defy Father Time as he remains one of the harder players to get to the ground in the league. The difference this season when compared to previous years is an offensive line largely not doing him any favors, 
blocking to just 1.26 yards before contact, 11th worst in the league. Even so, Henry remains the focal point of the offense with clear paths to 20-plus carries in competitive game environments. He has also seen three or more targets in five games this year, which gives him additional outs to returning elite GPP production. That said, the Buccaneers present a clear pass-funnel matchup, having allowed 349.3 pass yards per game over their previous four games. Those opponents included Jared Goff, Desmond Ritter, Josh Allen, and C.J. Stroud with all but Ritter going over 324 yards through the air. Ritter even managed 250 yards through the air in a win. In fact, the most yards a single ball carrier managed over the previous four games against the Buccaneers was 67 yards by James Cook in Week 8, the only game during that time that Villa missed. The snap rate amongst backs for the Titans remains a near-even split between Henry and J. Spears although Henry sees a much higher touch-to-snap ratio than the rookie and is the only one with an upside to see 20-25 to opportunities on a weekly basis. The likely absence of Traylon Burks due to a concussion should increase the involvement of Chris Moore on the perimeter, although all of Moore, Nick Westbrook-Ekine, and Kyle Phillips are likely to be involved via sub-elite snap rates. Chigonkonkwo and Trevor Wesco combined for sub-elite snap rates, although Onkonkwo is the one in a route at a much higher rate. DeAndre Hopkins started this season in a near-every-down role before being held below 70% in each of the two games since the team's Week 7 bye week, backing up his three-touchdown Week 8 performance on six targets with an 11-target game in Week 9. Hopkins holds an elite 33.3% targets per route run rate against man coverage this season and should continue to see a high rate of first-read targets with a rookie quarterback chucking the ball. As we touched on above, the matchup could be further influenced by the status of the two starting perimeter cornerbacks on the Buccaneers, as both Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis find themselves on the team's injury report this week. How Tampa Bay Will Try to Win the Buccaneers rank near the middle of the pack in pace of play, 14th ranked 28.3 seconds per play, and pass rate over expectation, but have had some of the more wild swings and tendencies from game to game. For example, the Bucs are fresh off their largest rush rate over expectation game of the season against the Texans in Week 9, ultimately falling short due to last-minute C.J. Stroud heroics. The standard range of outcomes for Baker Mayfield pass attempts is 32-37, to 37, falling within that range four times over the first five games of the season. Over the next three games, Mayfield attempted 42 passes against the Falcons and Bills before just 30 against the Texans last week. So while they are near the middle of the league in underlying metrics, we've seen offensive coordinator Dave Canales be quick to alter his offense's approach away from a pass-balanced starting point. The team's relative inability to run the football consistently has also contributed to those tendencies, which is only exacerbated by the matchup in this spot. Look for the Bucks to start pass-balanced, then tailor the rest of their game plan to whatever is working for the rest of the season. Rashad White is one of the last remaining workhorse backs in a dying breed, playing 70% or more of the offensive snaps in every game this season. Furthermore, he has been at or above 75% of the offensive snaps in all four games since the team's Week 5 bye and over 80% in each of the previous two games played. He holds a laughably low 3.4 yards per carry mark, but has maintained value through the air, combining to contribute a respectable 4.5 yards per touch this season. 
A solid 20.7% juke rate has helped to overcome one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines in the league, which has blocked to just 1.13 yards before contact, fourth worst. Expect Keyshawn Vaughn and Chase Edmonds to split the remaining handful of snaps left over behind White. Finally, the Titans have seeded just 4.1 yards per carry and five rushing scores through eight games played. As was touched on last week, this pass offense has been highly concentrated both from the perspectives of snap rates and concentration of volume. Tight end Cade Otten remains top five in snap rate and route participation rate amongst tight ends this season, but carries sub-elite marks in red zone involvement and targets per route run rate. We saw that correct towards the mean a bit in Week 9, but this is still an offense dominated by Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. The Titans run near-league average rates of man and zone coverages, but have been utterly exposed when in man this season, allowing 10.2 yards per target from that alignment. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both hold targets per route run rates above 27% against man this season, with Evans the far more efficient per-touch wide receiver of the two. His 0.78 fantasy points per route run against man ranks 6th in the league, while he also ranks highly against zone, returning 0.48 fantasy points per route run against more prevent looks, 12th. If anyone in this game is going to send the game environment over the edge, it's likely to be Evans. Rookie wide receiver Trey Palmer has been tasked with a higher snap rate as the season has progressed, playing a 64% snap rate or higher in every game since week 2. Even more remarkable is the elite concentration amongst the primary skill position players, with nobody outside of White, Evans, Godwin, Otten, and Palmer seeing more than 10 offensive snaps over the previous two weeks. Likeliest Game Flow Even though the matchup clearly tilts expected production to the air on either side of the game, it is likeliest to be the Buccaneers that drive the game environment here. Their relative inability to run the football combined with the pass-funnel nature of the Tennessee defense provides an environment ripe for aerial upside, with the biggest detractor being their penchant for unimaginative play-calling and reliance on their skill position players to win. Even so, success from the Bucks through the air would theoretically tilt additional volume to the air for the Titans, who would otherwise prefer to shorten games as much as possible via their defensive line and Derrick Henry. Not that Henry or Hopkins couldn't get there on their own in this spot, just that their respective paths to elite GPP production would become that much wider with success in the box score from the Buccaneers. As such, this game presents the potential to gain access to correlated upside through the pass offenses of each team, with far less emphasis on one-offs from this game. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Falcons at the Cardinals. Kick off Sunday, November 12th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 43. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. This game features two teams who rank in the bottom three in the league in pass rate over expectation. Falcons head coach Arthur Smith continues to find new ways to underwhelm, and at this point seems to be stuck in his ways merely because changing would prove others right. The Cardinals' defense ranks near the bottom of the league against both the run and the pass, opening the door for Atlanta's offense to look more functional. Arizona had one of the worst offensive performances you will ever see in Week 9 against the Browns, but will have a new look this week thanks to the return of quarterback Kyler Murray. 
James Conner also has a chance to return from injured reserve, which would also serve to solidify this offense's ability to sustain drives. How Atlanta will try to win. The Falcons' meteoric rise to mediocrity continued last week as they found new ways to lose and mismanage a game. While head coach Arthur Smith would rather lose game than prove those who question his approach right, the Falcons enter Week 10 with one of the more hollow 4-5 and five records you will ever see. They have one win by more than three points, a 24-10 Week 1 victory over the downtrodden Panthers. Their other three wins are a combined six points against the Packers, Texans, and Bucks. Atlanta ranks 19th in the NFL in red zone touchdown percentage, converting on only half of its opportunities, 50%, despite the Falcons' heavy investments in offensive skill players in the last three drafts. Through nine games, eighth overall pick and unquestionably talented Bijan Robinson has had 13 red zone opportunities compared to 28 for Tyler Algier. Fellow high-draft capital studs Drake London and Kyle Pitts have combined for 15 red zone targets this year. If my math checks out, that means that Smith has given the ball to Algier in the red zone as many times as he's given it to Robinson, London, and Pitts combined. As much as we preach process, this is a results business. It would be one thing to have that kind of touch dispersion if your team is racking up points and wins. But to misuse your players in that kind of way while not even cracking 500 against a soft schedule is pretty damning. Smith can give condescending answers and long monologues trying to convince everyone how sharp he is, but the reality is that he's making things far more difficult than they need to be. In high-leverage situations, find ways to get the ball to your most talented players. End of story, end of rant. Atlanta's run of a ridiculously soft schedule continues this week as it heads to Arizona to face a Cardinals team that has the worst record in the NFL and has lost five of their last six games by double digits. Unfortunately for Smith, the Cardinals are expected to get Murray back this week, which should invigorate their offense and force opponents to be more aggressive offensively. Atlanta should have their choice of how to attack, as Arizona's defense ranks 30th against the run and 31st against the pass by DVOA metrics. Atlanta's offense has all the ingredients to be special and can move the ball at a high level, especially against inferior opponents. Robinson and Algier are a terrific backfield pairing and run behind PFF's third-graded offensive line. Pitts and Jonu Smith have combined for more receiving yardage than any other tight end room in the NFL. London should return from injury this week, and Kadrell Hodge is emerging as a legitimate threat at wide receiver as well, thanks in large part to chemistry with new starting quarterback Taylor Heineke. Atlanta has no problem moving the football, as most of the Falcons' issues stem from failing to punch the ball in when they get to the red zone. This week, they face an Arizona defense that is ranked 30th in the league in opponent red zone touchdown percentage over the last three weeks. Atlanta has a bye after this week, and if the Falcons can't put up some significant points in this matchup, then some serious changes will likely be considered. The Falcons have been playing with increased pace and throwing at a higher rate over the last month, and we should expect those aggressive tendencies to continue this week as Smith seeks to silence his critics. How Arizona Will Try to Win the Cardinals' offense's performance was just about as bad as you can imagine from an NFL offense in Week 9. 
as Toon was clearly overmatched on the road against a ferocious Browns defense. Arizona managed only 58 total yards of offense on 49 plays and gave up as many sacks, seven, as the amount of first downs it had. The nightmare appears to be over for Cardinals fans, however, as Murray returns from his 2022 ACL tear this week to start for Arizona in a home matchup with the Falcons. We should have a decent idea what the Cardinals' offense will look like with Murray under center thanks to the first eight weeks of the season when Josh Dobbs was leading them. Murray is similar in his ability to make plays with his legs, either in a designed fashion or when avoiding pressure. Kyler's accuracy is probably a little bit better, and at least prior to his knee injury, his elusiveness with the ball in his hands was truly special. We should expect Trey McBride to be heavily utilized as the every-down tight end and safety valve, while Marquise Brown should have a chance to turn his elite usage into more production. Brown's best time with the Cardinals has been, by far, the portion of 2022 when he had Murray at quarterback and DeAndre Hopkins on the sideline. That exact scenario is finally back in play for Brown, making him likely to resume alpha status in the receiving game. Atlanta has PFF's top-graded run defense and ranks 28th in pass defense DVOA, making this a clear-cut pass-funnel situation. Arizona ranks 30th in PFF run blocking rate, making it highly unlikely that the Cardinals are going to move the ball well on the ground. We should expect a somewhat up-tempo approach from Arizona this week and a pass-leaning game plan, likely with some schemed quick hitters designed to get the ball out of Murray's hands and keep him out of harm's way as he eases back into things. There is no doubt that we will see Murray dancing around and making plays at some point, but early on, the Cardinals will probably try to avoid that. The Falcons do, however, rank fourth in the NFL in QB pressure rate and will force Murray to prove he's full strength sooner or later. Last week, Dobbs was able to run all over the Falcons' defense to make game-winning plays, and Murray will be tasked with the same challenge. Likeliest Game Flow This game has surprising paths to an up-tempo affair due to a combination of factors, including the return of Murray, elevated tempo from the Falcons, and the elite performance of Atlanta's run defense. Murray's presence should make the Cardinals a formidable unit through the air, and his ability to extend plays with his legs and make throws down the field also increases the chance of Arizona exploiting the Falcons' secondary. Despite all the heat Smith has been taking recently related to the usage of Robinson, he has actually been significantly increasing the Falcons' pass rate from the team we saw in 2022 and early 2023. Both teams rank 5th and 6th in seconds per play a raw metric for pace of play, showing that pace is likely to be increased from both teams. It would stand to reason that the Cardinals may increase that pace even more with Murray's return, and the Falcons will be willing to press the gas against a poor on-paper opponent. The result of all of this is that we should see a game with elevated play volume and the potential for explosive plays. While the narrative around the Falcons is, rightly, one of disappointment and disbelief, they are a team that moves the ball well and has a matchup that could cure their ills. Likewise, the Cardinals' offense has been better than expected for much of the year and should benefit in a variety of ways from the return of its franchise quarterback. This game has one of the higher ceilings on the week's slate thanks to all of those factors. The Lions at the Chargers 
kick off Sunday, November 12th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 48.5. Game Overview by Mike Johnson This game features two of the top ten offenses in the NFL and has the highest over-under on the Week 10 slate. Detroit enters this game off its Week 9 bye, potentially getting healthier and looking to finish the second half of the season strong and win their division for the first time since 1993. The Lions' offense may be welcoming back running back David Montgomery after a multi-week absence, during which Jameer Gibbs broke out and displayed his elite playmaking ability. The Chargers are playing on a short week after their dismantling of Zach Wilson and the Jets on Monday night. It is rare for the NFL to schedule games in this way, with one team, Chargers, playing on a short rest after a Monday night game, and Detroit having extra rest from its bye week. How Detroit will try to win Detroit enters this game with the second-best record in the NFC and fresh off its Week 9 bye. They also have their backfield at full strength, as Montgomery is set to return and Gibbs had consecutive big games in his absence. Detroit's offense leans heavily on its running backs, leading the league in running back opportunity share in 2022 and continuing that trend this year. Detroit's offense has been elite this season, ranking in the top six in the NFL in both running and passing offense DVOA. Offensive coordinator Ben Johnson has continued to show why he will be a highly sought-after head coaching candidate after the season, as his scheme gets the ball to his best players while keeping defenses on their heels. Detroit ranks 22nd in the NFL in pass rate over expectation, yet has been one of the more explosive and efficient units in the league so far this year. The Lions' offensive line has been elite this year, ranking 3rd in PFF pass blocking grade and 2nd in PFF run blocking grade. Quarterback Jared Goff has been very sensitive to pressure throughout his career, and the elite play up front has undoubtedly played a huge role in unlocking what may be the most impressive play of his career so far this season. As for Detroit's approach to this game, the Chargers' defense has been inconsistent this year despite having many big names in its ranks. Los Angeles has looked solid defensively the last two weeks against the Bears and Jets, but the Lions should feel confident about their ability to move the ball and score points in this matchup. The Chargers' scheme is zone-heavy in coverage and does not get a ton of pressure in most matchups. They rank 12th in PFF pass rush grade and 22nd in QB pressure rate this season. As noted earlier, Detroit's elite offensive line should hold up much better than Chicago and New York were able to. The Chargers' zone-heavy scheme also gives up a lot of plays and production, especially to higher-end offenses. Lions star-wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown is especially dominant against zone coverage, ranking 8th in PFF receiving grade against the zone. Ironically, standout rookie tight end Sam Laporta has also been terrific against zone coverage and ranks 8th amongst starting at tight ends in PFF receiving grade. Putting things together... Goff is best when he is kept upright, and ARSB is most effective against zone defenses. Both factors should be at play this week. A large portion of Detroit's offense flows through its running backs as well, and the dynamic duo of Montgomery and Gibbs should move the ball well in this matchup. Detroit is unlikely to significantly alter its play-calling splits, which leans slightly more run-heavy than the average NFL offense in this matchup. However, this is a game that can be highly explosive in both the running game and passing game. 
They have strong matchups in both areas and should be expected to move the ball very well in this matchup. The majority of Detroit's offense will flow through its running backs, ARSB and Laporta, with most of the passing game focused on intermediate areas of the field and attacking weak spots in zones. Detroit will likely take some calculated downfield shots as well, and we should trust Johnson to do so at the most opportune times. How Los Angeles will try to win The Chargers continue to be the Chargers, reaching the halfway point of the season with a .500 record to go along with a couple of head-scratching defeats. The Chargers have four victories this season, but three of those four wins have come against teams who were playing without their starting quarterback, as the Jets had Zach Wilson, the Bears had Tyson Bagent, and the Raiders had Aiden O'Connell under center. Their one victory over a team at full strength came in Week 3 against the Vikings, who at that point in the season were circling the drain before they got things together in recent weeks. Summarizing all of that, Los Angeles still hasn't really proven anything to us this year. Sure, they are a .500 team and coming off two convincing victories. Nonetheless, we have not seen them compete with and come out ahead of any team that we would consider a contender. Those facts must remain at the forefront of how we look at this game. The Chargers didn't do much offensively against the Jets on Monday night, but that's mainly because they didn't have to. The unintended consequence of Wilson's poor quarterback play is that Jets' opponents become obsessively risk-averse, knowing that their bar for the week is basically, don't screw this up. This week, the Chargers will have no such luxury, as they face a Lions offense that has been held under 20 points only once all year, by the number 2 ranked defense of the Ravens. Los Angeles ranks 7th in seconds per play, tempo, and 8th in PROE. Detroit's defense has been solid in all facets this season, while the Chargers have struggled to be consistent and efficient on the ground. The path of least resistance for Los Angeles will almost certainly be through the air this week, as they are unlikely to consistently move the ball through the run. Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen are going to be heavily featured and relied upon as the Chargers' receiving core continues to dwindle. The Chargers are without both Mike Williams and Joshua Palmer, while rookie Quinton Johnson continues to disappoint. Detroit is very good at preventing explosive plays from its opponent, so a pass-heavy game plan from the Chargers that heavily involves Allen and Eckler in the short to intermediate areas of the field seems like the most likely approach from Chargers offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Likeliest Game Flow Los Angeles has only faced three teams this season that rank in the top half of the league in offensive DVOA, the Chiefs, Dolphins, and Vikings. Those three teams scored an average of 30 points per game against the Chargers. Detroit ranks fifth in the NFL in offensive DVOA. It seems highly likely that the Lions are going to move the ball effectively this week, and given the body of work of both teams, that those drives will turn into points. On the flip side of things, the Chargers are likely to have a bit more of a struggle to move the ball, but when they do get into scoring position, they seem highly likely to convert drives into touchdowns. Los Angeles is number two in the NFL, behind only the Dolphins, in red zone touchdown percentage this season, while the Detroit defense ranks 26th in the same statistic. The likeliest game flow here is that the Lions take control of the game early through their superior running game and defense, and due to the difficulty that Los Angeles is likely to have creating explosive plays early in this matchup. 
We should expect the Chargers to keep things close, however, as they should find ways to move the ball eventually and seem likely to convert those opportunities into enough points to continue pushing the Detroit offense. The nuts and bolts of this is that this game's potential to live up to its hype as the highest over-under game on the main slate will largely depend on whether or not the Chargers can keep pace with what should be a high-scoring performance from the Lions. The Giants at the Cowboys kick off Sunday, November 12th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 39. Game Overview by Mike Johnson The Giants enter this game with one of the lowest implied team totals you will ever see in the modern NFL. New York will be without both Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor, leaving rookie Tommy DeVito as their likely starting quarterback. DeVito has played the majority of the last two games and has taken almost half as many sacks as he has completed passes. The Cowboys are coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Eagles, where they showed both their elite talent and ability to contend, as well as their continued inability to finish the job. It will be hard to find a bigger mismatch than the Cowboys' pass rush against the Giants' offensive line. Dak Prescott has been on fire lately, but it is unclear what kind of offensive game plan the Cowboys will take against such a futile opponent, as well as how quickly the game script could get out of hand. How New York will try to win. The Giants are downright bad. After a year of overachieving and everything seeming to break their way, New York has had just about everything go off the rails in 2023. There was a slight glimmer of hope coming into last week as New York finally had Jones and Barkley healthy together and appeared to have most of the hard part of their schedule behind them. The football gods had other plans, however, as Jones suffered a devastating ACL tear in the first half of the game and the Giants got steamrolled by the rejuvenated Raiders. Week 9 marked the second consecutive game where the Giants lost their starting quarterback due to injury and brought in the rookie DeVito in relief. In both appearances, the Giants were putrid on offense and barely able to move the ball. The Giants did get a little bit of garbage time production against the Raiders once the outcome was already decided, but there is not a lot of room for optimism here on New York's side of the ball. The Giants have announced that DeVito will start in Week 10, which theoretically is a little bit better for his odds of success since he will get all the first-team reps and be more prepared. Unfortunately, The Giants face a ferocious Dallas pass rush that has made a living teeing off on inferior opponents this season. The Cowboys have played three home games this season, all against teams that are currently .500 or worse, and won those games by an average of 26 points. The Giants have achieved the rare feat of ranking dead last in the NFL in both rushing offense DVOA and passing offense DVOA. Their third-string quarterback is now under center, while their offensive line is still not performing well. The Giants rank 27th in the NFL in pass rate over expectation, but are likely to be the most run-heavy team in the league this week for as long as they can. The Cowboys' run defense has been above average this season and is especially strong against lower-tier opponents. The Giants will almost certainly give the ball to Barkley on the majority of their plays and hope a conservative approach and a good defensive game plan can bring the Cowboys down to their level. How Dallas will try to win. The Cowboys had their chance for a statement win over the Eagles in Week 9, 
but they squandered opportunities due to lack of execution, a couple of narrow bad breaks, and a couple of calls that went the other way. Dallas actually got inside the 10-yard line with a chance to win the game late, but took a false start and then a sack that effectively ended their upset bid. Self-inflicted mistakes got them once again. The Cowboys have been a polarizing team this year, with only two of their eight teams ending with a single-digit difference on the scoreboard. The Cowboys have dominated at home and against inferior opponents, both of which fit the description of this week's game and lend credence to the idea that Jerry World will be rocking on Sunday. The Cowboys came out of their Week 7 bye with an aggressive, pass-first mindset and jumped all over the Rams en route to a 43-20 victory. They followed that up with another pass-heavy game plan against the Eagles' stout run defense. This week presents a potential trap for head coach Mike McCarthy to fall back into his reliance on the running game against the 28th-ranked run defense of the Giants. It seems likely that the Cowboys will be relatively aggressive early on in this game, but there is a high risk of things getting out of hand quickly once again. In any case, the Cowboys continued throwing even with a 26-3 first-half lead against the Rams, so we should expect at least a half of aggressive offensive football from Dallas, unless McCarthy reverts to his old habits. The lack of an offensive threat from the Giants does increase the chances of that reversion, however, as Tony Pollard and the running game have struggled this year, and it is feasible that McCarthy views this game as a chance to fix the running game. All things considered, the Dallas offense appears to be hitting its stride and should once again have success in this game in whatever manner they choose to attack. They are likely to continue their increased pass rate and relatively fast tempo early in the contest, with game flow likely to slide them towards the running game and simply getting out of the game in one piece as things progress. Likeliest Game Flow There isn't a whole lot to describe in this section that hasn't already been clearly spelled out. The Cowboys are extremely likely to roll in this spot, as their offense is likely to have strong success along with the high potential for short fields. The Giants' offense would have to find a level of success under Tommy DeVito that they haven't remotely come close to over the last two weeks in order to keep this game competitive. The Dallas defense feasts on teams against which they have a significant talent advantage, and that is the case once again this week. How quickly and how significantly things get out of hand will depend primarily on whether the Giants can avoid turnovers and whether they can contain Cowboys' drives to field goals rather than touchdowns, with Dallas turnovers leading to short fields likely being the Giants' best chance of finding points. The current implied team totals for this game are Cowboys 28, Giants 11. Honestly, it feels like a double-digit point total from the Giants would be quite the accomplishment after their performance against the Raiders, and this just feels like a spot where the Cowboys could push for 40-plus points and once again take the scrawny kids' lunch money on the playground. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Commanders at the Seahawks kick off Sunday, November 12th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 44.5. Game Overview by Mike Johnson The Commanders are still right in the NFC playoff hunt, despite an up-and-down season thus far. Seattle is coming off a humbling 37-3 loss to the Ravens. 
Sam Howell is on a record-setting pace for sacks taken in a season, although he and the offensive line have improved in that area over the past two weeks. This game has a path to becoming a shootout thanks to the commander's poor pass defense and the Seahawks' elite run defense. This is the only game on the Week 10 slate that features two teams in the top 10 in the NFL in pass rate over expectation. How Washington will try to win. The Commanders are among the elite offenses in the NFL. Well, at least in terms of offensive approach. Speaking in general, teams tend to build their offensive game plans and approaches around their personnel's strengths and weaknesses. If you look at the top 12 teams in the NFL in pass rate over expectation, here are 11 of the quarterbacks for those teams. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kirk Cousins, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert, Geno Smith, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, and Lamar Jackson. That is basically just a list of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Ironically, Sam Howell is the one that's not like the others from this list, with the Commanders ranking third in PROE behind only the Bengals and the Chiefs. New offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy came over from the Chiefs and has kept with his system as he pushes the pass rate and tempo for the Commanders. Howell has attempted 40 or more passes in five of the last six games. Washington has had some low moments this year, such as a 34-point home loss to the Bills and a blowout loss to the lowly Bears. But they've also had some moments that inspire hope, like their two close losses to the dominant Eagles. For all the ups and downs they've had already in 2023, the Commanders are still in the thick of the NFC playoff hunt, but will need to pull off a couple of upsets down the stretch against a very difficult remaining schedule that includes the Seahawks, 49ers, Cowboys, times two, and Dolphins. Entering Week 8, the Seahawks' defense ranked third in the NFL in both run defense DVOA and opponents' yards per carry. The Browns and their run-based offense had success in Week 8, and the Ravens' offense went nuclear last week, which has skewed the data heavily for the season-long stats, which now show Seattle as a middling run defense ranking 18th in run defense DVOA and 21st in opponents' yards per carry. This is one of those situations where context is vital, and simply looking at the top-layer ranking and statistics would be misleading. Reading the tea leaves, we can see that the Seahawks have been elite against the run when playing offenses not built around that part of their offense. Considering the tendencies the Commanders have shown this year and their current play-calling splits, it is reasonable to expect that Seattle will provide a brick wall to the running game for Washington and turn them into a fully one-dimensional attack. Seattle's scheme relies heavily on zone concepts, limiting big plays and keeping the ball in front of them. We should expect an extremely high volume of passes from Washington this week, while those passes will primarily be forced to the field short and intermediate middle areas. How Seattle will try to win The Seahawks are a team that can win in many ways, and is often very opponent-sensitive. We have spoken often in the NFL Edge and on OWS about how Seattle is the type of team that usually has to be pulled into high-scoring affairs and does not naturally force the issue. While Seattle does rank 9th in the NFL in PROE and 10th in seconds per play, they have not been a part of many shootouts this season like they were in 2022. They could certainly use a shot in the arm offensively after their emasculating performance last week against the Ravens. 
Ultimately, that game could be good for Seattle, as a midseason wake-up call can provoke changes that help a team in the long run. Baltimore unquestionably has one of the top defenses in the league, and Seattle had next to nothing they could do successfully against them, as they managed only 151 total yards and six downs in the game. This week, the Seahawks should get just what the doctor ordered as Washington comes to town with one of the league's bigger pass-funnel defenses, thanks to a solid run defense and a secondary that has been torched repeatedly this year. Adding to that issue is that Washington just traded away two elite edge runners in Montez Sweat and Chase Young before last week's trade deadline. While the talent-deficient Patriots couldn't expose them in Week 9, this presents a perfect opportunity for Seattle to get their passing game rolling. Once again, if we look back at the weekly circumstances of Seattle's season, we can see a situation where the stats don't tell the whole story. Seattle has an elite trio of wide receivers in DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and rookie Jackson Smith-Najigba, JSN. JSN broke his wrist in the preseason and had a limited role prior to Seattle's Week 5 bye. In Week 6 against the Bengals, DK Metcalf hurt his hip, leading him to missing Week 7 against the Cardinals. In Week 8 and 9, the Seahawks faced the Browns and Ravens, the top two teams in pass defense DVOA in the entire NFL. This week is likely to be the first time all season that the Seahawks passing game is at full strength and not playing an elite opponent. The likely non-existent pass rush from Washington and a vulnerable coverage scheme means that Seattle should be closer to the highly efficient and explosive passing offense many people expected entering the season. Likeliest Game Flow This game effectively has pass funnels on both sides of the ball, leading to elevated play volume and potential for explosive plays. Seattle is most likely to take control of this game as their talented passing game should be able to have some explosive chunk plays while Washington is forced by the Seahawks' scheme to check things down underneath. The Commanders are more likely to have negative plays and or turn the ball over, as they have given up the most sacks in the NFL, and Seattle's defense ranks fourth in the league in sacks per game. That said another way, both teams are likely to throw the ball at a very high rate in this game but the Commanders are likely to be turned into a one-trick pony that will make them predictable and more prone to problems. Seattle will also be pass-heavy, but the fact that they can run the ball with a little bit of success will help keep their pocket clean after a nightmare scenario last week in Baltimore. The Commanders have given up 30-plus points in five of their nine games this season. The four offenses that failed to reach that threshold were the Cardinals, Falcons, Giants, and Patriots. Seattle's offense is undoubtedly in a higher tier than all of those teams and is highly likely to reach or exceed their 26-point implied point total, with the commander's ability to score being the ultimate X-factor on whether this game turns into a shootout or a rout. <laughs>